you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's a number on this table just right at the back here, and you're welcome to borrow one of those, or you can have one of the blue ones. Uh, But if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke 10, third book there in the New Testament. Have you ever worked with someone who enjoyed the phrase, that's not my job? (laughs) Maybe they... um, or maybe you used that phrase, uh, that's not my job. You know, maybe it's something that's lower than, than, than you. That, well, I do this, and that's for the other people. That, that's, that's their job. Or, or maybe it's something that's above you. Um, you wouldn't say necessarily, that's not my job. You might say, that's above my pay grade. Have you ever heard that, that phrase? You know, I don't get paid enough to deal with that. That's for the people that get paid more. You know, I have my job, this is my job, and these things are not my job. <laughs> I think as Christians, we need to be careful of using that phrase, especially when it comes to the task of making disciples, to the task of telling the good news of Jesus. We can get into the place where we say, you know what, that's, Andy's job. (laughs) He's the pastor. That's his job to make disciples and to proclaim the good news. That's what he's supposed to do. Or we think about missionaries. Well, that's their job. They're they're kind of doing that. Or we think about maybe you know Christians that are on some sort of higher level in our mind for whatever reason. Well, that's their job. Or they have the gift of evangelism. That's a great excuse, isn't it? I I just don't do well talking with people. But in reality, if we are disciples of Jesus, it's all of our jobs together to proclaim the good news of Jesus. To the world. We're looking at Luke chapter 10 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 16. And as we read through these verses, you're going to be reminded, hopefully, of Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. In both instances, Jesus is sending people out to do the work of the ministry. Back when we studied Luke 9, verses 1 through 6, we, we said, this is the main idea that we said from that sermon. That's not, this isn't for this Sunday, but this is from weeks ago. Uh, the main idea was that as disciples of Jesus, we are sent to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom in the power, in the power and authority he has given. So what we were saying is, as followers of Jesus, we are to show the greatness of God through his mighty works, and we are to proclaim the message that Jesus has come as the king to proclaim this message of the kingdom in in words where you are to call all people to repentance and faith and we do it in the authority that Jesus has given so Jesus has given us this authority to to do that there's a lot of similarities that we're going to see as we read through uh, these verses in chapter 10 um but there are also some differences some expansions some different instructions but I want to make a similar main point um, and because I, I think it is similar, so here's here's the main thought I think for chapter ten verses one through sixteen, and it's this: as disciples of Jesus, we are all sent to proclaim and bring the peace and nearness of the kingdom of God in the authority He has given. So same idea: we are disciples of Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, we're all sent to proclaim and bring. We're to speak with words and we're to show with deeds. We're, we're sent to do this, but the last time we said, we talked about the, the, the good news of the kingdom. This is, I want to just say, the peace of the kingdom and the nearness of the kingdom. Those are the words that Jesus is going to use here. And that's, that's our task. As disciples of Jesus, we're all sent to proclaim and bring the peace and nearness of the kingdom of God. And we do it in the authority he has given. That's a wordy statement. We'll kind of flesh it out here uh, as we read uh, Luke 
10, 1 through 16. I had planned to cover all 16 verses this morning, but I think it's going to be best for us to take a couple weeks to think about this. But I want to read the whole passage so we understand what's, what's going on here. And we'll focus on verses 1 through 5 this morning. But Luke 10, and let me read 1 through 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. That's a powerful verse there at the end, isn't it? Verse 16. That that's the task that we have been given as ambassadors of God, that we are sent and whoever hears us is hearing Jesus. Whoever rejects us is rejecting Jesus and is rejecting God. I think that encapsulates much of what is being said here. Let me just give a general outline and then we're going to focus in. But there's kind of an, an opening verse there in verse 10, that, verse 1 that explains what's going on. Um, then Jesus makes a statement about the harvest and he gives us a couple responses. They are to pray and they are to go. And then as we go, he gives some general instructions that we're going to look at this morning. And then what we'll think about next week is that there's a message that we proclaim. And when we proclaim that message, there are two responses. There are those who receive that message and there are those who reject that message. And so we proclaim the same message to all, but there are two responses, those who receive and those who reject. And so, in fact, there are actually two responses to those responses. So we proclaim, people receive, those who receive the message, we respond in a certain way. We proclaim, those, some people reject the message. Those who reject the message, we respond to them in a different way. And Jesus gives really great instruction for what happens in these two circumstances. We'll see that next week, but this morning I just want to kind of lay the groundwork in verses 1 through 5. As we're thinking about this, maybe in comparison to chapter 9, those first uh, six verses of chapter 9, one of the main differences we see is, is the number of people that are sent out. Uh, back in chapter 9, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples, but here he's sending out how many? 72, or 70, depending on what Bible you have. If you have an NASB or you have a King James, it's going to say 70. If you have an ESV or a NIV or some other, it's going to say 72. So 
what's right. Well, it's not a huge difference. There's some sort of textual issue here, and it's really hard to say exactly what is right. Both of these numbers have some sort of significance in Scripture, and so that's kind of why there's a debate about what fits. But it doesn't change the force of this passage. It's just something that you're going to see in your Bibles. But this new number, this expanding commissioning, tells us something. And it tells us in general that this is a task for all. So if you're taking notes, I might just write that, a task for all. And what I mean by all is this, it's for all disciples to go to all people and we're to do it all together. All disciples are to go to all people and we're to do it all together. It's to all people. We find that... Um, we find this in the in the fact that that part of what some people think is being communicated here with this number is that there's a representative for every nation, for every every known nation in the world at that time. It kind of goes back to Genesis 10 and 11 with the, the table of nations and the Tower of Babel, and and so there's this idea that Jesus is sending a representative to all people, to all nations. That fits very well with Luke, isn't it? Jesus is the savior of who? The world. And, and then we can think about what Luke will write later in the book of Acts, where the gospel is to, to spread, it's to, to go to all people. And Jesus' great commission to us, he says, I send you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. We're to go to, to, um, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's, it's, it's a message that's, that's for all people. Even here, the disciples are most likely actually be sent, being sent east of the Jordan River. So in, in many ways, outside of the land of promise. They're being sent to, to places where there's probably more Samaritans, maybe even Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish, and they're to proclaim this, this message. And so the message of Jesus is expanding. This reminds us, we should always be reminded of this, that the good news is not for one nation. It's not for one people. But the gospel is meant to spread. It's meant to be taken to all people in all places. So we can say that there's there's no corner of our city where Jesus should not be proclaimed as king. And there's there's no nation, however powerful that government is, where the kingdom of God should not be brought near. And there are no people that are ho- so hostile that the peace of Jesus should not be proclaimed within the borders of that nation. It needs to go to all people. The gospel is to go to these unreached people groups of the world that we've talked about, these, these places where less than 2% of the population is considered Christian. It's to go to the unengaged people groups in the world, places where, where no one is proclaiming the name of Jesus. There's no gospel witness there. The task of proclaiming the peace of God and the nearness of God is to spread to all people. And so we find if that's going to happen, it's going to take more than just 12 guys to do it. It's going to take more than just the disciples to accomplish that. And so there's this expansion from the 12 to 72. And it indicates that this, this mission is for a broader group. It's not, just, it's not just some, but it's all. Every disciple is to be involved. Now, as we think about how that applies, there's certainly people that are, that are called to a certain task. There, there are missionaries. There are those that are called to go overseas, to go to certain places, and to take the, 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 the gospel there. And as we look at this passage, there's some great um, help for those that are doing cross-cultural mission work. But there's another sense in which we are all called to, to this 
to, to this task of, of proclaiming the peace that God has come to bring, of proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God. The, the expansion from 12 to 72 indicates that, that, that the spread of the gospel is not to be limited to a, a select few, but it's for all disciples. Think about these 72. Who were they? I mean, were they ready for this task? The disciples had spent probably about three years at this point with Jesus. Had the 72 had that close a contact? Probably not. Maybe some had just joined. And now Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. And many of them said, I'm not ready yet, Jesus. I'm not ready for this this task of going and and proclaiming. Many of us would probably say the same thing. Uh, Yeah, that's that's a tie. All disciples are to make disciples all but me. Because... I'm not ready. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. What would I do if if someone did reject the message that I brought? How do I even explain the gospel? I mean, there's, there's practical things that we need to get taken care of, but the reality is that once those practical things in some ways are taken care of, that, that all disciples are to be making disciples. And if we continue to doubt our ability and of what we're supposed to do, notice what these what these guys are doing. They're sent two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So that they're preparing the way for Jesus. And in many ways, that, that's that's all that we are called to do. We are to to go ahead and prepare the way for Jesus. But we're not we're not saving anyone. My proclamation of the gospel is not going to save someone, but it paves the way for Jesus to show up, for the, for the Holy Spirit to do the work that he needs to do. The, the reality of the gospel is that, that it, it's transmitted through words. People need to hear. They need to hear who Jesus is. They need to hear what he's come to do. But then, but then it's God, it's, it's Jesus' job to, to show up. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's work that comes and does what we can't. But we're still, we're still called to go. We're still called to, to proclaim this, this truth. If you've signed on as a follower of Jesus, then this is your task as well. You can't say, eh, it's not my job. <laughs> it's, it's not just uh, for missionaries. And you may not be a full-time missionary, but you are called, and I am called, to proclaim this message in the context that we are in so that this is a task for all. Remember, it's for all disciples to go to all people, and we are to do it all together. We're to do it all together. The text says here that they're to go two by two. So as they go out, the 72, it, it breaks down into, into 36. So there's these groups of, of two, 36 groups of two that are to go out and to proclaim this message, calling people to submit to Jesus as King. And this is not something that, I, th- I think what we can draw from this is it's not something that we're to do by ourselves. It's not something that we need to feel like it's just my responsibility. Part of this was probably authenticating um, the message. But but this task of of, of proclaiming the message is, is a difficult one. We, we, need people, we need people with us. We need people to encourage us, to support us. We need the gifts and the inputs of other people. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of going out in a, in a group of two people and sharing the gospel, but there's often people that, that one person really connects with and they can talk to and they have a, 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 a voice in that person's life. And then you sit back and you say, I could never talk to that person. But then you end up talking to someone else and, wow, I can really connect with this person. 
That, that's how God has made up the body of Christ, and that's why we all need to be about this task. There, are, there may be someone here this morning, someone here that, that benefits from the preaching of God's Word, but they would grow by leaps and bounds if you sat down and said, you know, can I talk to you about what the Bible says? Could we read Scripture together, maybe, you know, every other week or something like that, or get together for coffee and talk about what the sermon is and, and read that passage together? They would grow by leaps and bounds because of what you can do that, that I can't. There might be someone at your workplace, and they've heard the gospel a thousand times, but they've never turned to Jesus. But, but God actually might, he might use your testimony, you sitting down and sharing how God has changed you. It might be you that is the key to opening their heart to receive the gospel. You're preparing the way. You're not saving them. Jesus is the one that comes and saves them. But it may be your testimony that would help that. And there may, might I say, there might be a people group in Asia or in Africa or somewhere in the world that's unengaged, that has never heard the gospel of Jesus. And you might be the part of the body of Christ that's supposed to go there. You might be the one that's going to have the tools and the, and the gifting necessary to take the gospel to that place. We're, the point is, we're in this together. This is, this is a team effort. Remember at our church picnic when we played tug-of-war? There's two scenarios I think about. One would be the, the other team has everyone lined up, and one guy shows up on the rope, and he says, all right, no one needs to help. I got this. And he says, I'm going to just pull them all myself. Well, that's foolish, isn't it? The, the task is to, we're to do this all together. It's two by two. We've got, we got to work together. No one, no one says, I can accomplish the evangelization of the world on my own. I am the one that will take care of this. But in the same way, if we've got both teams lined up, what a terrible thing it would be if, you know, three or four people said, oh, you got enough. You don't need me. I'm just going to stand here next to the rope and not pull. No, we, we need everyone. And even just a little bit of effort helps. And everyone is, is involved in this task of sharing the good news of the gospel. You might not be the star player. You might not be the anchor. I mean, in tug of war, there's usually the one guy that just leans, right? And he just he's doing a lot more work maybe than we are. He's the star of the, of the team. But in reality, you know, there were probably stars out of the 72. We don't even know who these guys are. Isn't that interesting? Not one of them is named. I think that's interesting because I'm reading through the book of Numbers right now and they seem to name everyone. You know? <laughs> Why do we have all these names? We don't know who these 72 are. And you know, that, that's probably most of the reality for, for us. No one's going to know who you are. If you share the gospel in your workplace, it's, it's not going to make the news probably. It, it might not even make the news here at Grace Fellowship Church. Maybe you did share the gospel this week. Nobody knows about it. But you're, you're, you're part of this task. You're doing what we are called to do. You know, as I think about discipleship, as thinking about this two by, by two, I can't help but think about, about parents. Those of us who have been given the, the gift of, of children, and we are responsible not simply to feed and to clothe and to house them, but we are we're to disciple them. That that's that's part of the task as as parents. And so I would say, fellow parents, we are to raise up children to to know that Jesus is King, to help them understand what what it means to be at peace with God. And even as parents, we're this group, these two by twos. That that's that's what we're called to do. We're to we're to work together. 
And I would say, you know, my wife is able to connect with my kids in a way that, that I can't. And very often she has to tell me, you know, Andy, they're little girls. Think about it this way, you know. Okay, I'll try. And, and, and that's part of the task of parenting. But not, not only that, but I love that my kids are involved in a church, that we're doing this all together, that, that they're hearing the gospel from other people. And so we're we're all in this together, and it's not just kids; it's it's every age. And so that's why we gather on Sunday evenings around tables, so that we're all ministering to one another. We do this all together. This task of discipleship, of of sharing the gospel and growing in the gospel, is a task for everyone. It's for all disciples, and we're to go to all people, and we got to do it all together. So it's a task for all. And, and as as Jesus sends out the seventy-two. He describes a situation here. He gets them ready for what they're heading into. Here's the situation, he says, verse 2, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So here's the reality, 72 disciples. Here's the reality for us. It's this picture of a, of a field that is ready to be harvested. The grain is ripe. It's, it's ready to be brought in. It's, it's good grain. It's going to bring joy to the people that bring it in. But there's a problem. The problem is that there's just not enough people. There's not enough people to gather the grain and to get it into the storehouses in time. Now what Jesus is saying here is that the, that the grain, the, the harvest, represents souls. Represents people that are that are ready to receive the truth of God's word, to receive the gospel. But there are just there's just not enough laborers. There's not enough gospel workers to bring in all who are ready. So there's a twofold solution. So what do we do? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Jesus says, first, pray for laborers. That's the first thing he says. Pray for laborers. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In light of all this, we are to pray. We are to pray to who? The Lord of the harvest. We are to pray to the, the one who is who is in control of the harvest, who, who controls not only the souls that are ready to be harvested, but the labors also that go out into it. He is, he is in control. And here we see this, this tension between the, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We see this tension where we say, we're praying to the Lord of the harvest that God is in control. And the reality that there is no unharvested grain that is truly a child of God that will not be brought in. So, so there's a dilemma that there's people out there that, that need to hear the gospel, that are ready to be brought in to know the truth, and, and there will be no one that's left in the field that's supposed to be brought in. That's reality. But yet, God says you need to pray. You need to pray that God will send laborers out there. We need to pray with an earnestness that says, someone's got to go. Someone's got to tell people that, that are bound for hell that they, they don't know the truth. They don't know who Jesus is. And this is not a passive prayer, is it? Mine says pray earnestly. The word there is actually the same word that's translated throughout Luke as beg. Remember when people come to Jesus and they beg of him? The father comes and begs that Jesus would heal his son. That's the one we most recently saw. That's the same word. We are to beg God. 
We are to plead with God that he would send out laborers to bring in this harvest of souls into his kingdom. In other words, as we look out on this field and we see it ripe for harvest, we see souls that need to know who Jesus is. Souls in our city and in our nation, in our world that, that, that are ready to receive. There's just no one there to tell them. When we, when we think about that, it should so burden us that we, that we beg God, that we plead with God, God, please send someone. Send someone to tell them the truth of who you are. It should be our prayer. It should always be on our lips. When we see strife in the world, when we see things like what's going on in Ukraine, we, we pray for that, but then we pray, God, send some laborers there. Send people that can share the gospel. When we see nations that are in turmoil, that we would pray that God would send forth laborers. I, I think and I, if we have service this evening, it will be on our prayer list. Pray for laborers to go into the harvest. And I pray that it's on there probably in perpetuity. So forever. That, that, they would always be, that we would always be praying and pleading with God that he would send people out to tell the truth. Because if we look at the field and we really, do we really believe that? Do we believe that the field is ripe for harvest, that there are people ready to receive if someone would just go? Do we believe that about our city, that if we look out and we say, there's someone out there that's that's ready, that's ready to re- to bow their knee to Jesus, to understand the peace that God has come to bring? We just have to go. Someone needs to be a laborer. And so as we as we pray, we're praying for this. We see the field as Jesus did in John 4, that it's, that it's white for harvest, that there are those ready to be brought in. But yet as we pray, God might answer our prayer with us. So in response to the field, it says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then verse 3 says, Go your way. So we pray for laborers and we go as laborers. It's both and. It's not either or. You don't pray or go or go and not pray. It's both. Mine says, um, go your way. Some of you, it's probably translated, go exclamation point. That, that, that the command is, is go. So in response to the plentiful harvest, go. This is what we've been saying, that as disciples of Jesus, we are all to go. As we stare into the field and we see the need and we pray, then we are also to go in whatever capacity God calls us to. And so Jesus gives us some instructions about what that's going to look like. This this looks similar to what we saw in Luke 9, 1 through 6, and some other things that we've been reminded of throughout the book of Luke. The first thing instruction that we get is, to remember the reality of opposition. We've talked a lot about this, the reality of opposition, but he says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. (laughs) This could be part of the reason there's not a lot of laborers in the field. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat the message. and I don't know if it can get much scarier than that. I mean, we all know what wolves do to sheep, right? I've watched enough nature programs on PBS. You know, you watch wolf packs chasing down prey. What do they do when they get the prey? (laughs) They devour it. They kill it. And they eat it. I mean, and now we're talking about lambs. Lambs are pretty helpless when you think. I mean, when I watch the shows, they're chasing after something. Lambs aren't doing much. 
<laughs> Jesus says, I'm sending you out. You know what you're like? You're like, we're not like gazelles in the midst of lions where we might get away. We're like lambs in the midst of wolves. A lamb is completely defenseless. And, and the wolves of the world and the flesh and the devil, they want to devour us, especially if we start proclaiming that Jesus is king and calling people to peace with God. The wolves will be there. There is true opposition to our message. I received an email from Voice of the Martyrs this week that brought that home. Here's what it said. Assistant Pastor Lawrence Kazungu Kadenge was murdered in the early morning hours of February 2nd while guarding the Glory of God Ministries Church in Mombasa. This is in Kenya. Although police are still investigating the murder, it is believed that radical Muslims may have killed the 59-year-old assistant pastor for alerting police about security threats and for preaching the gospel close to a mosque. Kadenge's death has increased fears among pastors in the area. Several pastors have been murdered recently in the Mombasa region, and churches along the coastal area have been attacked by radical Muslims who are trying to create an independent state there. Romans 8 is right. What does it say? It says that for Jesus' sake we are being killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. We are sent out as lambs among wolves. But Romans 8 also reminds us after that, yet, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And he says nothing, including death itself, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we go out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And yes, Pastor Kadenge was murdered for that. But in reality, We are more than conquerors, and Pastor Kadenge is more than a conqueror through him who loves him. And though he is a lamb that has been killed, because Jesus was the lamb that was killed, he is safe. Not only that, but but we have hope not only if the wolves devour and kill us, but we also have the confidence that Jesus is the good shepherd. I encourage you, go back and read what Pastor Henry read in John chapter 10. Sheep are, are really, truly, completely defenseless, unless there's a shepherd. What's the job of the shepherd? The job of the shepherd is to guard over the sheep. And Jesus says he's the door of the sheep. No no one comes in apart from him. Our shepherd will watch over us. We know he will watch over us. And, and he's ready. He's willing to lay down his life for the sake of his sheep. So we see the reality of opposition. If we're going to go out, let's face this. There's people that don't want us going out. There's people that don't want to hear the message. As disciples of Jesus, you should have a few doors slammed in your face. That, that should be reality. You should have a few people that, that are hostile to the, the message that you proclaim. That's, that's part and parcel of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But not only the reality of rejection and the reality of opposition, but also the necessity of faith, I think is what the point is in verse 4. The first part, the, the necessity of faith. We've talked about this before, but he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Don't take anything with you. Travel light. Take just what you need. Be, be minimalist. I, I transferred wallets. I went to a, a minimalist wallet. I still got it packed pretty full, but I used to have... It was a lot bigger. And and so you travel light. We're in a simplistic world. We want to get simple, right? Because we have too much stuff. And, and Jesus says, let's be simple. Don't, don't take anything. Why? The point is, is faith. I'll take care of you. 
I will take care of you. I, I, we know that in part because um, in Luke 22, Jesus brings this up. In Luke 22:35, he says this to the um, to the disciples. Um, Sorry, that's Luke 23. Luke 22, 35. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He says, I want you to go with nothing because I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. Don't even take an extra pair of shoes. Some of us, I mean, when I pack to go out of town, I pack heavy. <laughs> Just take everything. I don't know. I might need this. Jesus is saying, Pack light. I'll take care of you. I'll, I'll, I'll provide everything that you need. When we step out into this place of, of telling others the good news of Jesus, we're going to feel like we don't have something. I'm missing something. I, I, I don't have enough verses memorized. I mean, Joel gave us a beautiful demonstration of how to share the gospel. And you think, I don't know that as well as I should. I forgot part of it. I don't remember the fourth verse in the Romans road. God's going to provide what we need. He'll give us the words to say even in those circumstances. We trust Jesus. We have faith that He is with us, that we're going on His mission. He will do what we cannot. Recognize opposition, recognize the necessity of faith, and then think about the urgency of the task. We've talked about this recently, urgency, but we see it here. He says, greet no one on the road. Greet no one on the road as you're walking. Don't talk to anyone. If they pass by you, no. Now, see, in our age, we when you walk past someone, you can you can do the the head nod, right? You've acknowledged someone. Hey, how's it going? You know, um, when I'm in the neighborhood running, I kind of say, hey, you know, I'm out of breath. I don't I don't stop and talk to people, but you know, we give a wave. Now, in in what I was reading, Leon Morris says Eastern salutations can be elaborate and time consuming. Um, I think that's the point here that you don't just stop and give a head nod and a wave and a high, it's it's something that takes time. You have to talk and they would they would they would be there for a while and, and Jesus says, Don't greet anyone. You keep going. You are on a mission. People would have probably thought they were rude, huh? You know, you're supposed to talk to me. We're we're past each other on the road. We need to have some sort of a conversation. And Jesus says, No, don't talk to anyone on the road. The reality is that, that probably will happen for us. If we're if we're on mission with Jesus People are going to think us rude. I'm not saying we walk around the street and we don't talk to anyone. But there's people will say, well, you don't spend as much time with me as you used to. You don't talk to me on the phone as long as you used to. But, you know, th- there's things that we used to do together that you had time for, but now you're, you're always meeting with people and telling them about Jesus or you're having discipleship or you're going to a small group or you're going to church and well, you don't have time for me anymore. And say, well, that's true because there's an urgent mission that I'm a part of. But to remember, too, that we can get so distracted by things. You know, you can sit and talk to someone. There's so many distractions in our world that keep us from from the mission. And and, and maybe it was a good conversation that they could have with someone on the road. But Jesus says, that's that's not your task. You're, You're going to this place to tell people about who I am, to tell them that I've come, that I'm the king, that I've come to bring peace. That's your job. Don't get distracted. Get distracted by the things of this world. There's so many things that we can get distracted by. So I just want to focus us in. Of all the things that we want to say, that's not my job, discipling others is not the thing that we should say, that's not my job. There's a hundred other things that we could say, well, I don't need, I don't have time for that. That's not as necessary as this. So when we think about these general instructions, there's, there's opposition, there's this need for faith, there's, 
There's an urgency to the task. Those are those general instructions. And then Jesus tells us the message that we are to proclaim. We're going to see this message and then think about those responses as we said at the beginning. But this is the last, the last point. And it's this. The message we proclaim is peace. The message we proclaim is peace. In movies, when aliens come to Earth, <laughs> it's always assumed that they're here to destroy things. <laughs> and so what do the aliens have to say? They have to say the magic words when they come off their flying saucer. They say, we come in peace, right? That, 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 that they want to make sure, okay, everyone, we're not here to fight. We come in peace. Usually they don't, but they say that at least. <laughs> You know, 1 Peter 2.11 says that we're aliens. It says we are aliens and strangers in this world. We're, we're foreign. We don't really belong here necessarily. And so often the world sees our, our proclamation of the gospel or, or we ourselves as combative, as, as hostile. They think we're here to destroy everything that's important. But we say, no, we've come in peace. <laughs> we come with a message of, of peace. Remember, the coming of Jesus marks the year of the Lord's favor. And when the angels show up in Luke 2.14, they announce the coming of Jesus. What do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Goodwill towards men. There's a message of peace that we bring. That's, what, that's, what, that's the message that he says. He says, whenever you enter a house, say, peace be on this house. I, I come bringing peace. That, that, that Jewish greeting of shalom. I've come to tell you about Peace. But, but in some ways, peace actually um, assumes the reality of some sort of conflict. That we're bringing peace to a situation. If you're bringing peace to a situation, it means there's some sort of strife. But the conflict isn't between us and the people that we are talking to. The conflict is between the, the, those that are, not of, that, that, that are not disciples of Jesus and God himself. Romans 8, 6 through 8 says that the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, because it does not subject itself to the law of God. In fact, it says it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those apart from Jesus are enemies of Jesus. But Jesus has come to bring peace. He's come to make peace. And how does he make peace? Colossians 1.20 tells us that he does it through the cross. Listen to this. This is one of my favorite descriptions of what the gospel is. Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth, or in heaven, making peace. How? By the blood of his cross. Jesus has come to bring peace. He's made it by the blood of his cross. Now, how, how do people access that peace? Maybe you're thinking this morning, I need to be at peace with God. I don't know if I know peace with God. You're talking about sharing this message. I don't know if I've ever even heard this message. How do we know peace with God? How do we access this peace? Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Faith. It's, it's faith. Faith in what? Faith in the blood of the cross that brings peace. Faith in what Jesus has done. Faith that we are 
hostile towards God, that we are against God, that we cannot please God by anything that we say or do or are, but that Jesus has come to make peace by the blood of his cross. And if we would put our faith in Jesus and in what he has done, that he has come to be our substitute, to die and to bring peace, then we will know peace with God. We will be saved from the wrath of God. This is the message we get to go out and proclaim. We get to go out and we say, Jesus has come to declare peace. This is the message. I, you are, you are in, in, in rebellion against God, and God is angry and hostile against you. But Jesus has come to bring peace. We get to go into the fields of people that are ripe and ready to hear this, and we get to share the good news of what Jesus has come to do. This is our task. It's not something that you can say is not your job. And in fact, why would you want to? Why would we ever want to do that? We get to go into a world where God is preparing people's hearts to receive the truth of the message, and we get to say, you know what? That peace with God that you're looking for, Jesus has brought it. Jesus has come to bring peace between you and Him. What a wonderful message. I pray we wouldn't say it's not our job. I pray that, that we would realize that it's a task for all, all disciples, to all people. We do it all together. We recognize this opposition. We recognize that we need to have faith, and we recognize there's an urgency that, that maybe it's going to look weird to everyone else, but there's something we got to do. And we go out and we proclaim peace.